Are you happy? You know what? Let me ask you a different question. Do you have joy in your life? Because of everyone listening, there's a diversity of uh, answers on this. There are people who are happy, yet their happiness comes and goes with the day. And depending upon the day, it's either good or bad. There are some people who have horrible days. They've had great sadness in their life, but they maintain joy. And what I mean by that is steadfast, rock solid, ha not happiness, but joy. They're able to withstand the tempest of life. Here's a question. What is one of the pillars of that? We'll describe that today as we describe Thanksgiving and as we watch our culture twist that as they stray further every day. Howdy, Jonathan Fiala for Further Every Day, sitting in the chair of host and also philosophy today. And uh, to my right, once again, I'm joined by the wonderful, lovely, intelligent Miss Nikki. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm glad to have you there. Dealing the chair, within the chair of theology, I can't talk this morning, afternoon, whatever it is, dealing with the reason why we believe what we believe. And uh, to my left, left of the chair of philosophy down the stream we got uh, mr charlie well he didn't call me handsome and and just tremendously and well well you know you are downstream <laughs> you know what you got, you're intelligent i wasn't i wasn't I was, you know i wasn't gonna say anything there but uh you know steve was the intelligent one to bring it up uh, i was yeah. gonna say something about further downstream than he is yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. we're all below we're all falling downstream and i'm even further so yes thank you yes, charlie so in the chair of culture mr charlie dealing with the culture that has grown up around the issue of thanksgiving and let's talk yes. about that as we go but to his left we got uh, in the chair of politics the yep. steve johnson yeah how are you I am wonderful and very joyful today. And, and very intelligent and very good looking. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty downstream. <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere. The way he said wonderful, uh, you know what came to mind? Huh. Lawrence Welk. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. wonderful. Yep. I remember <laughs> that show. Boy, I remember that. Oh, my goodness. And then yeah. his left. And politically. We got the Jason who is uh, sitting in the chair of economics. Yeah. Talking about very indeed, indeed. Economically yeah. economic. Make sure you're talking into the mic. You to talk into the mic. So make sure Fine. you're talking. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So let's excuse me. Oh, it's going to be a day already. Okay. You might, you might need to twist that mic a little bit. There you go. I think it's going to help. So with that said, let's talk about it today. But before we get too far into it, I want us at the table with two clips from a Veritasium video and Mr. Producer, you're going to get that queued up for us. If you would, uh, Veritasium is a great uh, YouTube channel link in the description below, not a Christian source by any stretch of the imagination, but they've got some really interesting uh, stuff. And I'm looking for the Veritasium video. If you could pull that up, please, sir. It's going to be the 85 year study on happiness. Okay. It's the 85 study year study of happiness. And we're going to start at the 648 mark. If you can verify that we're there, uh, guys, go watch the whole video. Uh, it is too long. Good. For uh, us today, dude, that's fine. Right where you are is fine. Just play it from there. Um, it's going to, they go through the the different things that connote with happiness, including family, uh, spirituality, your link to God, but also they, of course, talk about money. And 
I think that this is really interesting. It's worth digging into before we get to the chair of economics. Mr. Producer, could you go ahead and let that one rip? Just like many young people today, many participants from the Harvard study also believed that money and achievement were what they should go after to have a good life. But what this study and plenty of others show is that the people who were the happiest were those that leaned into their relationships with their partner, friends, family, and community. And when they were in their 80s, the researchers asked them, what are you most proud of and what is your biggest regret? Many people said that they were proudest of something to do with their relationship. So it could be, I was a good boss. I was a good parent. I was a good friend. I was a good mentor. Nobody said I made a fortune, right? Nobody even said, you know, I won the Nobel Prize, which a few people did. It wasn't about those badges of achievement, right, that we think of as, oh, that's, that's what we got to get to feel like we've had a meaningful life. Everybody looking back mentioned their relationship. The biggest regret mm. was, particularly among the men, because this was the World War II generation, they said, I wish I hadn't spent so much time at work. I wish I had spent more time with the people I care about. So, Okay. So I want to get a general reaction and we're going to go in deeper into what happiness is, but I want to set the table. One of the things that they're probably not going to look for in the study, they said relationship to community. Part of that's church. Part of that is your, your, your social fabric. And for the Christian, that is the church. Okay. That is the best social fabric you're going to have. But just moving around the room, I want to get your first thoughts to that before we get into the actual money, money side of this. I would agree completely. Relationships, family are the things that satisfy. That's what eternal contentment and happiness. Absolutely. I would, I would agree with that. I think the pressure is on the men. And you saw one example of why back during World War II. Even in today's culture, though, I think we find that men have a difficult time of making enough money to support their families, and thus they're taking two maybe three jobs trying to make it work and that pulls that it, there's something that's going to get sacrificed there. Well, before you in the comment section say, well, you know, he's a boomer. Yeah. He pulled three jobs. Did this man right here worked three jobs at different times in his life, multiple times to support his family of five. Yep. So he, five kids, he, five kids, five kids, yeah, seven, five kids. Seven, seven, seven people, seven people. <laughs> no, that, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, seven total. And so, and it's even worse now. Millennials are actually making, millennials in Gen X are, are making less money than the boomers did. And they're going to have less wealth than the boomers did. Partly because the boomers ruined the economy by putting, you know, social security in the general fund, but that's a different issue. Uh, all that to say, all that to say, it's more important now more than ever to understand where your happiness yeah. can come from there and where go. joy comes from. It comes from thankfulness. But moving over to Mr. Steve. Yeah, I would I would agree with that one statement that gentleman made that, you know, I would say probably the majority or even more men always regret not spending enough time with their families. And I'm talking like a large majority of men. men are just like, you know, I wish I would have spent more time. Mm, yeah. And Jason, you know? you're, you're, you're a young, you're a young father. I mean, young comparatively Relatively. speaking in this room. So 
how does that how does that statistic and in that it's not anecdotal at this point i mean it, it is a statistic how does that sit with you well um i travel a ton for work and that's one of the things that uh i've had to make a conscious decision about um curving that because you know especially now as as my kids are getting older you know you you start to realize Time's running up. The influence that I'm going to be on them, you know, it's the it's more important now when they're young than it is when they're old, mm -hmm. right? And so the influence that I'm not, that I have on them right now is more important than ever. And um, some people will, you know, sacrifice their kids' youth to make a ton of money, and they think they're going to make it up after they made their wealth and their riches, and then they have no relationship with their kids at all. Well, someone's got to send them to college is the, oh. is the thing that you always hear, uh -oh. right? Yeah. So I, no, I want to no. pause that, and I actually want to come back to that issue after we hear the next part of this clip, Mr. Producer, because I, I, I want to get the next part of this clip because it's going to set us up to actually in the long run to speak about that. It's not directly, but it's about happiness and the generation of, of wealth and what happens with happiness is where are you starting from? I think that's very important. So you could go ahead and get us that. And we're starting from 1804. Is that correct? Thank you, sir. Question. Do achievements and money really make us happy? Well, according to the Harvard study, badges of achievement do not necessarily make us happier. But doing meaningful work can. And what about money? Does that make us happier? There's a famous study from 2010 by Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deaton that found that above an income of around $75,000 a year, there is no improvement whatever in the measures of emotional well-being. But 11 years later, Matthew Killingsworth studied data on 33,000 employed U.S. adults, and he found that higher incomes corresponded to higher levels of well-being. So he wrote, there was no evidence for an experienced well-being plateau above $75,000 a year, contrary to some influential past research. In 2022, Kahneman and Killingsworth set out to resolve the conflict with Barbara Mellers as a mediator. When they analyzed Killingsworth's data, they discovered an interesting pattern. Depending on how happy people were relative to others, earning more resulted in different increases in happiness. For each income level, they divided people into groups based on their happiness, low, medium, high, and so on. They found that below a threshold of roughly $100,000 a year, higher income was associated with more happiness for all groups. But if you go above that threshold, then for the unhappiest group, a further increase is not associated with more happiness. However, for all the happier groups, higher incomes do seem to lead to more happiness. The real twist is that those who were the happiest to start with stand to gain the most with increasing income. Relationships, meaningful work, and money all play a role in our happiness. So why can it be so hard to realize just how important relationships are? If you think about it, relationships have been there since before we have memory, right? So they're like the air we breathe. We take them for granted. You don't think about that as something you cultivate in order to make yourself happy. We, we don't think about that at all. And We're yet, focused on security. Scientifically, we find that that turns out to be an enormous predictor of happiness as well as physical health. All right. So I want to, I want to kind of pull back. And so I want to get, I want to go around the room and get thoughts on that. 
For those of you who are listening to audio, by the way, thank you for over 200,000 downloads. Thank mm -hmm. you guys for yes. listening. Uh, yeah, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Indeed. So, but I want to get your thoughts on that. If you are on audio, you didn't see the graph. It was significantly higher levels of happiness for those mm -hmm. who were in the 85 percentile or higher than, say, people who were in the 35 to 55 percent happiness scale. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is from a theological standpoint? Well, if you're if you're happy to begin with and you have a great deal of happiness and more money comes your way, you're still happy because you have your priorities in line. You already have things um, in your in your life that have set the, that as a priority and that priority doesn't change just because more money then. So it doesn't change your happiness. Could you say that your joy is steadfast? And, uh, and because you already have joy, you're able to do more. Absolutely. Things. Absolutely. And, and when they said their, their happiness increases, I can tell you from our experience from going from, uh, um, a lower income to a much higher income when he started his own, own business, it was not self-indulgent type of spending. It was, um, I can now go on a mission trip. I can now give this. I can now do things that I couldn't do before, but it wasn't a self-indulgent activity. Well, because because you were no longer working three jobs and because you had, how many hours a week were you working with, when, with your job? So on that job, it was 40, 50 hours a week. Easy. So, so, but now you had time to give yes. and to pour into your kids' lives and to the community that surrounded your kids. Yeah. You coached. Yeah. That's not something that you could have done while you were working three jobs. No. You didn't no. have the time. There was no way. Did you derive happiness from that? I enjoyed working with the kids and the coaching when we got to. But that you family. actually got to coach your two older son. Yeah. And Still. that was something that you had really wanted to do. But yeah. when you were working three jobs, so that was something you prayed about and the Lord opened that door. Would your, would your happiness index have gone up if someone was polling you? in the two de the, the decade span of three jobs to now I'm secure enough that I can coach my kids. That index would have gone up with a higher income because it would have enabled me to do that. But, and, and that's why that particular but you were, segment. but you were all that much higher than, than, than that. You were, you were in yes. that zone. You were right in that one bump. Yes. Yes. You, you, you're not rich. Correct. You made that one bump in adjustment. Yep. So what, what, what I think that that establishes anecdotally, and I, and I want you to speak to this mm -hmm. because you've lived it anecdotally that says once I am capable of providing for my family in their bare bones, minimalistic things, the, the some amount of materialism, you know, there's a little, I can save to mm -hmm. buy the nicer car. I can save to have nice food on the table, right? Once you get to that point, anything extra is just gravy on the happiness scale because you are already building the happiness and that actually just allows you to spend more time with yeah. the relationships. Yes. And, and I would, I would agree with the way that you've stated that I would, uh, I, I, I don't know as I can add much more to that. That's, that's well stated. I will say on that, on that graph in, and I think there's a lot of other questions that can be asked, uh, pertaining to what he was sharing there. Um, because if I have been able to do those things and not have to wait for the higher income to be able to do it, would I have been content? That's a really good question. 
because again, now we're speaking to the issue of relationships. You're doing things that that are socially um, they were they were things I wanted to do. Yeah. So, Mr. Steve. Yes, sir. What what stuck out stood out about that to you about the the increase of happiness being so much more minimal? And then I want Jason to just go to town. But anything that stood stuck out to you? Well, what what was I think most interesting thing was is you know how people the small amount of happiness for a length of period of time that people get when they're not happy, then they get money and then they're happy for a certain length of time and then it goes down or it, or it just becomes like, it's an issue of joy. Right. And you only have so much of it because money, you know, they say, Money can't buy you happiness. Well, it it buys it for you for a certain length of time because it's like what uh, Nikki was talking about. You you have an indulgence type mm -hmm. of spending where you're indulging on yourself and you're buying this and you're buying that. Oh, I'm so happy because I've got, I've got me a new vehicle. I got me a new house. I got new this. I got new this. I got oh man, I got all. But it's a thirst that's it, never it, satiated. That this exciting, right? Yeah, and. And it's like Charlie just said, it's it's fleeting. It's so fleeting and, and it's always out of reach and you can never grab a hold of it. Yeah. So you you don't have that happiness in your grasp. So it just gets away from you. So therefore it just kind of mm -hmm. peters out and goes away after a bit and then you know, how many unhappy millionaires are out there? Pretty much most of them. That's true. That's true. Jason. Unless they got a good relationship. I've been waiting for this moment all morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to town. So, um, I've done a ton of study on this. Does anybody know no. the eighth thing that God calls good? So in Genesis 1, at the end of every day, I said, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. At the end of seven, this is all really, really good, good, right? But then he calls the eighth thing good. Does anybody know what it is? Waiting. And the gold in the land is good. That's Genesis 2, 12. Now, what's gold? What is this? What does it symbolize across the world? Every it's nation. Value. Right? Precious metal. I mean, the, the streets value of gold of exchange, are right? Money, the value of exchange. So does this mean that um, everything that we do with gold is good? No, but God's saying the value of exchange, how we exchange together is good. We're all happy that the electrician doesn't have to go hunt and farm and you know, find ways to feed his family. He can spend time being an electrician so we can have light. We're happy that the people that build the house for us that we live in don't have to farm and fish and find fresh water. They can build houses that get better and better throughout time, right? So gold, the uh, symbol of exchange between human beings is good. But the gold is found in the land of Havilah. Does anybody know what the land of Havilah is? 
or what Havila means is exactly everything we're talking about. Go for it. Havila means sandy, right? So Jesus said you can build your house upon the rock or you can build the house upon the sand. It also means to encircle, to ensnare. It means twisted. So if you think about gold and all these things that we can do with gold, it's an easy way for us to build a castle in sand. It's an easy way for us to become ensnared. And it's an easy way for us to twist the meaning behind money. Money is actually a spiritual concept. We don't want to live in Havila. Okay. We like the gold, but we don't want Havila, right? But money is a spiritual concept. No other creature in the world has a medium of exchange. No other creature. This is, a, this is purely human, right? And we're creating God's image, the exchange. Now, how many verses in the Bible talk about money? Many, exchange? quite a few. A ton. Which means is when we don't, when we have a appropriate um, spiritual understanding of money, then life is okay. But when we don't have a spiritual understanding of money, we get ensnared, we get twisted, we build our castle on the sand, right? So how does God, we're talking about joy, right? By the way, does anybody know what eight represents in... Uh, Ancient Hebrew culture completion. Not just no. That's seven. Man, no, no. Seven is God. Six is man. Oh, eight is completion. Is but go ahead. Eight is infinity, in abundance, in spiritual blessings. That's what. That's interesting. So, now you have to everybody have to do a research on that. Which one is? Yeah. It? yeah. And so no, the, no. Six is man. Six is man. Yeah. Yep. Six is man. Seven is God. Eight is completion infinity in God. Completion in God. I guess. I guess you could say. Uh, completion too but it's also yeah. spiritual abundance yes it's um blessings it's so the medium of the eighth thing that god calls good brings spiritual abundance brings blessing brings um you know uh joy right now the um eight also represents a letter in the hebrew language Right. And I believe the letter was Chet, if I'm not mistaken. And what Chet means is life, grace, and grace is something we give that somebody doesn't deserve. So it's also charity. So it gives grace, gives charity. Uh, we said abundance and blessings. That's what the that's what the Hebrew letter means or what it represents. So all these things, when we have money in the proper spiritual alignment, is going to give us life. We work for a living, right? It gives us the ability to be charitable. This person does not deserve the money that I give them. I give it to them because God has blessed me. I'm overwhelmed with blessings, so I give. The last thing I was going to say is, do you guys know what um, the Hebrew word for Thanksgiving is? Yada. Yeah. Do you know what, the, what it means? Like what the, the logic behind it? Yeah. So... It means it's not just Thanksgiving. Hey, I'm, I'm thankful I have this, mean, this. It's used in Jeremiah as to God will have you shoot down the wicked. It means that you are giving thanks. It means you are rendering to God. It also means to stop or to stop evil. It means to, when you're giving yes. thanks, you are living to your, it, what the Greek would call the telos. When you are yadaing God, you are 
giving over to him everything that belongs. It's a it's an emotion that breeds an action of positive good. Correct. That's that's kind of the the logic behind, right? That, yes, it you, inspires so me to do good, which you're, some, you're stealing my evil. thunder over here. Okay, that's I won't good. steal I'm, too much more. I'm glad yeah. that you're doing. You're on yeah. the same page, then. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. So, when God says, "Hey, how do you overcome greed?" in the Bible, we have First Timothy it talks about with God. Uh, Contentment with godliness, not just contentment, but contentment with godliness is great gain. It talks about the verses in Thanksgiving. You know, you can't uh, have joy without Thanksgiving. Gratitude is like important. If you look at uh, studies of happiness, and I've looked at some of them, contentment, gratitude, these are all mm. high. We talked about, you know, if you're content before you had money and then after you have money, does it change your happiness? Yeah, it makes you a little bit more happy, but you were already happy to begin with. You were joyful to begin with. Correct. If that makes sense. And that's the difference. Yeah. Right. Mm. So, and, and I, I didn't want to make this whole podcast about, about the woke attack on Thanksgiving, but rather to say, what is so important about this holiday? Why is it, why, why, and, and we're going to get to that when I'm going to ask you this a little bit. I was going to say, why do we, why do we do such a terrible job of defending it? And why is the culture coming for it? And we're, we're going to talk about that. But first, let's talk about how the culture is coming for it. If you could pull up, Mr. Producer, that Nat Geo, uh, I believe it's Nat Geo, if I remember correctly, link, link in the description down below, as always. Uh, if you can pull up that first on the Thanksgiving, and then I want to pull up that Prager U. We're going to play a piece of Prager U. And just so you guys understand where the origins of Thanksgiving uh, come from, okay? Uh, nope, not that one. That is from the JW Post, okay? That's not that one. The next one. You're going to have to come up, but thank you, sir. And go ahead and play that for us, if you would. Uh, let us listen to a rough, it's from the History Channel. Thank you. Let's go ahead and play it. This is uh, a History Channel's bit on the first Thanksgiving. Okay. Yep. Go ahead, sir. Most Americans, the Pilgrims of Plymouth, Massachusetts, are the iconic inspiration for today's Thanksgiving feast. After the winter of killed almost half, there's a reason for that. Colonists formed a relationship with neighboring Wampanoag, taught them about fishing. Play. By autumn of 1621, the colonists had collected enough food to feed the community through the coming winter. The Wampanoags joined the colonists for a three-day feast in honor of their bounty. The feast probably did not include our modern Thanksgiving staple, turkey. More likely, the colonists and Wampanoags dined on roast goose, deer with corn, codfish, and lobster. This 1621 harvest meal is now deer. commonly thought of as the first Thanksgiving. Yet for later generations of New England days of Thanksgiving, little to do. One harvest festival. Theirs was a religious holiday, descended from Puritan days of fasting, prayer, and giving thanks to God. And there's a reason for that. Every autumn, the governor of each colony would declare days of thanksgiving for bountiful harvests, victorious battles, or drought-ending rains. In 1777, the Continental Congress decreed that all 13 of America's colonies celebrate a national day of thanksgiving that year. 
in celebration of their victory over the British at Saratoga. By the mid-19th century, many states celebrated the holiday. However, the date could vary by weeks or even months. A determined magazine editor named Sarah Josepha Hale set about establishing a national Thanksgiving Day. She passionately believed that such a day would help unite a nation headed towards civil war. Hale began a one-woman letter-writing campaign, urging politicians to establish an annual day of Thanksgiving. Her efforts were finally rewarded by Abraham Lincoln, who saw the unifying potential of the holiday. In 1863, four months after the victory at Gettysburg, he declared the last Thursday of November to be Thanksgiving Day. By the 20th century, Thanksgiving was a welcome day of leisure from a six-day work week. In the 1920s, the National Football League was formed. In an effort to boost attendance, the fledgling Detroit Lions devised the concept of a Thanksgiving Day game. Parades also became a Turkey Day tradition, and department stores quickly saw their value as a kickoff to the Christmas shopping season. The yeah. Thanksgiving Day Parade began in 1924, and year after year, millions of New Yorkers braved the cold to watch the festivities. Most of all, Thanksgiving is about family. With modern life moving faster than ever, Thanksgiving gives us a day to take a collective breath, reconnect with loved ones, remember just how much we have. Thank you, Mr. Producer. That's good enough. So, how many of y'all were familiar with the history of the actual United States Day? Like, how many of y'all had a, had a surprise in there? Did anyone have a surprise in there about about the writing, writing letters and, and getting that set no, up? That, I was, that was I, all in school. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, you know, remember that, but that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it all it, it all checks. Right. So yeah. that 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 is the surprise. Pardon? The Detroit Lions started the football tradition. That surprised me. Well, so Did anything it, good come out of Detroit? No. Yeah. Well, no. Hey, hey, hey. Way back then, good things were coming out of Detroit. Sure. It's when a certain party took that, over. That, yeah. But but we won't go there. Uh, with that said, this is the this is the old understanding of what Thanksgiving is, but they've perverted that, haven't they, Steve? Oh my gosh. So yes, they have. Let's pull up the next clip, and we're going to start that clip, of course, at one a minute and thirty two seconds in. This is from PragerU. And I want to compare Plymouth to Jamestown because th there's a reason why in 1620 they were starving. There's a reason why they were starving. It's because they tried something out and they were very thankful that they had returned back to God's ways. So, Mr. Producer, if you could go ahead and throw that up there. 132. Yes, please. Spain or France. The early American settlements were set up to be self-sufficient, so that the English government didn't have to support them, and they had to stake out territory. That was key to the colonial game. If England held the territory, Spain and France didn't. Speaking of James, the Dan. early colonists began their adventure with what they thought was a beautiful idea. They set up a common storehouse of grain from which people were supposed to take what they needed and put back what they could. Lands were also held in common, and were worked in common. The settlers owned no land of their own. Though there was no name for this system, it was an ideal socialist commune. And you can probably guess what happened. It began to fall apart almost immediately. As the colonists learned, when everyone is entitled to everything, 
no one's responsible for anything. The colonist who started his workday early or stayed late received the same provision of food as a colonist who showed up late, went home early, or didn't work at all. After about two years, the settlement was reduced to eating shoelaces and rats. Half of them died of starvation. Captain John Smith of Pocahontas fame took control of the colony and scrapped a socialist model. Each colonist Based. received his own parcel of land. Private property had come to the new world. He who won't work won't eat, Smith told them, citing the biblical admonition. Well, mm. they worked and they ate and the colony was saved. The same story unfolded further north in the Plymouth colony 10 years later. Although this was a Puritan colony with religious goals, its plan was the same as Jamestown's, and it also failed. As its young governor, William Bradford, noted, by adopting the communal system, we thought we were wiser than God. Oh, snap. So they quickly abandoned the commune for private ownership. Soon they had an abundance, which they celebrated with a holiday we now know as Thanksgiving. Over the next 150 years, this hard-learned lesson that men should be responsible for their own economic fate became conventional wisdom in the colonies. Thank you, sir. The American Revolution. That's good. So if you want to watch the whole video, link in the description down below. We recommend that. And then there's also a PragerU video, which we're, you and I are going to talk about in just a moment. We're mm -hmm. not going to show it, but we're going to talk about it. Link in the description below. But we'll get there. They go on to talk about how, how this specific video from PragerU is about socialism and how we've tried it mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. But right. what we see from the socialist Marxist communists is a, is a, and, and yes, they are the same derivative. You ignoramuses in the comment section, there's a couple of you that come on and they say, what's a socialist Marxist? Oh my gosh, you guys, you clearly do not, you've never read Marx or Lenin and you are the useful idiot. Anyway, just saying, I say that. They didn't pay attention in the government. Class. In they Jesus name. In Jesus name. So <laughs> Steve. How have those people, those people, by the way, who were the reason their ideology was the reason why they were suffering so much that uh, Squanto was was the blessing was sent by God to Squantum came in and like by the providence of God, that man had been horribly mistreated by yes. slavers brought in. Why do you think that this has become so political? Why has Thanksgiving become political? Is, is there not, a, how is that spiritual warfare aspect between the idea of Marxism and the idea of free will under God? How have those two come into clash in the political scale? Well, you know, that's a, that's an interesting concept there. Um, <clears throat> politics, they're trying, as we all know, uh, the political system's trying to push all religious thoughts and beliefs out of the public. Get it all out. Don't want it in school. We don't want it in public. Um, if you're preaching too much about it, you know, you've heard about what's going on in other various countries. Luckily, here in this country, we still have the First Amendment, and you can stand out and preach even the word of God. Now, in some places where you go and do that, you may get shot. I heard about that on- um, This last week? Just this past week, this week, as a matter yep. of fact. 
uh, street preacher got shot in front of his church, as a matter of fact, and he's not doing very well from what I understand. Um, and, you know, and this is from things that people are pushing. Now, you know, we saw what happens with socialism, socialism, and we've got people coming from college that are being pushed into this belief by those that are teaching their professors and people of that nature who have grown up reading these Marxist socialistic ideas. And for some stupid reason, those people, all they've ever done is be a professional student, never had to get out in the real marketplace world and read and read and read and teach and teach and teach and just be a professional student and then get up and say, hey, this is the best thing that's going, man. We got This is what we got to push on all these students. Let me add this to you. You, you might want to study why we have the First Amendment, freedom of religion. And one of the things that the woke community needs to do is to erase the, the history, the correct history. The history that says that the men that created or that started this nation did it on biblical principles. Correct. And you cannot, you cannot go forward with a woke agenda if you do not eliminate the foundation. That's exactly right. And um, I don't think we can skip over the fact that a lot of these socialist teachings are actually creeping up in the church themselves. Oh, yeah. And we have um, people using uh, acts. I think it's three. It says they had all things in common. Everybody sold their goods, brought things to the store. Oh, it works so well. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Why did they stop? Yeah. Oh, Ananias and Sapphira. That's what the whole thing was. Like socialism is in the New Testament. Yeah. And um, actually, you know, the the concept of you don't work, you don't eat was actually to address that. Correct. Because people who are capable of working were coming and taking the stores saved up for the widows and the orphans from the church and they weren't working. And And Paul says, no more. If you can work, you got to go work. Someone fact check me because I think I I forget if it was uh, David Barton or someone else or maybe it was a pastor preached a sermon, but actually went into William Bradford's writings. And actually, when when that, that quote of we thought we were wiser than God, William Bradford, if I remember correctly, fact check me. If it if he didn't say this, then then it then it was in his thoughts of I'm going back to the scripture now and I'm realizing that they tried this mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. And we weren't paying attention and God punished us because God allowed us in our folly to to fail. And, and I think, you know, there is something to say for like a temporary deal, right? Um, for people who are traveling on an ocean ship from Europe yeah. to the U.S., you know, to, to settle, you're going to have all things in common, right? There's no personal property, but all these things are temporal. That's not meant for a long-term solution. It's, you can't build a society there's on a grace. temporal. There's yeah. grace and there's charity. So yes. like, 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 for example, and I, I'll, I'll use a terrible example here, and, th- and then we got to move but it's like if someone was abusing their own blanket and they were getting it wet and then they wanted someone else's blanket on the mm-hmm. ship, right? Like that's an example of communism yeah. where it's like, no, 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 no. You, you get to sleep in that blanket. Mm-hmm. And if you die and if your children die, my children don't die because of your stupidity. 
right? So, but I'm with you. There's that room for grace where you have to say, wait a minute, that kid didn't do something. Maybe I, out of the kindness of my heart, can give my coat and my wife and I, or my kids and I can all huddle together, get closer that one night, right? But there's always room for charity. Yeah. But the mandate, the mandate yeah. is the problem. I think that's and where Christians charity, lose it. Yeah. In, in the, um, the Hebrew definition of, of uh, giving, it, the concept is you give until you no longer have to. Yes. Meaning that if you always have to give, then you're doing something wrong. Correct. This, it's a giving that, hey, you can get up on your feet. We're going to help give. You can get up on your feet, but you have to get up on your feet. We're letting go of the bike. You got to ride it on your own. Agreed. You can, you can see in these two uh, communities when they are having to rely upon themselves for feeding themselves, especially what happens when you have a pure socialist type of economy working in something like that? What happens? Uh, you know, I, I don't feel like getting up today. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to sleep in. I'm not going to get out there in the field. And then you got 20 folks that are not going to do that. And then you got, you know, five people out there trying to tend the field, trying to take care of and feed, you know, a hundred people. Man, that doesn't work out. And, and, so, and everybody starves and dies. And so one of the things I think that we really skip over, and and we've talked about it on this podcast before, but there was a difference between the uh, 1607 Jamestown colony and the 1619 uh, uh, Plymouth landing. And there's a very key difference between those two people and their original purpose. And the two different things were tried you know, the two different communistic societies were tried. One was religious and the other was secular, wasn't it, Steve? Yes. Uh, one was the, the Jamestown was very secular. That Their whole purpose behind it was to come over and secure land for England. England. That was, the, excuse me, Charlie. <laughs> no, that good. was the whole purpose behind it. They wanted to come over, secure land, so that they would have start a colony set up so that other countries wouldn't have this land. Their whole purpose behind it, ex facto, purposely socialist. Yep. Just like it is back at Homeland. Hey, we're going to do the Homeland thing. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't you know? that far from, from the, the thing of the king. The king just wasn't there and the lords weren't there. And so they tried it without a dictator. Right. They tried this, this owner, communal ownership instead of being underneath this dictator and or the local feudal lord and it did not work and then not one bit the the god bless the people in plymouth they tried the axe the folly of axe mm -hmm. and they realized wait a minute this doesn't work right and the puritans you know whether i, I don't remember if it was norway or holland yeah they the, came out of holland the, that they were in and because they had left england went to there to escape uh persecution Yep, They were living there, and then, you know, they were concerned about their families and the pagan religions there. So what did they do? They left to go to the new world to start a new religious communal community so they could raise their families and their children and have a place for them to be able to do that under their own faith. 
and so, raise them that way. That's a great segue into the chair of culture because before it got really heated, before we got on, we were talking about that exact thing. And yes. Mr. Charlie uh, in the chair of culture right. had a great to you, he had, Charlie. <laughs> he had something that uh, Boney wanted to pick that that was not something that he had heard before. Um, and, and you know, this is, so let me go back to the, the book of Exodus, if I could. Okay. We, we, we do need to be concise, but go. So Moses is, I'm sorry, Joseph and, and all the children of Israel out there in Egypt. And lo and behold, Pharaoh, who had made Joseph, um, you know, second in command, lo and behold, he dies. New, new Pharaoh comes up, but they knew not Joseph. And what's that word for, for new? Does anyone know? Anyone remember? Gnosko. Yada. 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 Gnosko was the Greek and yep. Septuagint. He put it in the trash can. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's great for knowing what a Hebrew Greek mind would know. But uh, no, the Septuagint is not your friend. Uh, it's just a great tool to read off. But yeah, it was the word yada. It was that word for Thanksgiving. Yep. He thanked not the generation and the God of Joseph. So lo and behold, the children of Israel are eventually find their way in being put into slavery. Okay. How did we get there? We don't remember our history. What was it that God told the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? The last plague. And you will teach your children. You will teach them every year. You will teach them. I want to challenge those of you that are listening or watching right now. When's the last time that you had a really good deep discussion on Thanksgiving? Because that's why we're at where we're at. One of the most, um, I'm going to call it secular holidays today. Mm -hmm. We wow. come to the holiday and we're looking forward to what? We're looking forward to three football games. We're looking to the great turkey dinner. And we've not mentioned one thing about how we got to where we got. Why do we have what we have? I'm, I'm with you. If it had not been for Squanto, I don't think we're at where we're at. No, I, and, and I agree because, and, and, you know, not to get too far into the chair of philosophy just yet, but I think that you had, you really have the starting of two Americas yes. in Jamestown. Yes. Plymouth. And, and again, I've been saying this for a, while, for a year or two now. I need to write a book, The, the Tale of Two Americas. Uh, you, you've got Jamestown. And then you got Plymouth. One was founded for country and king, and it was the the focus was money. The focus was uh, building out the decay of the European world, and which, by the way, Havilla. has come over. Which, Havilla. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the Havilla of the of, of the former yeah. world, the old world, well, and then the other one was founded on. We're fleeing that filth. Like like they left they left England because of persecution, and that's where they came from. They went to Holland, and they said. This is not hour. a godly land. Yep. This is not right. a godly land. Let's go and let's build a godly land, a land that is focused on pure and true religion, one that is focused on God. And so that so you have those two start. And you look at where those two started, you have the north and the south. The north was not perfect, just putting that out there. The south was not totally evil, just putting that out there. But you see the root of both of them, the start. You had one founded on Christianity and the other one founded on mammon. And the mammon, there were good Christians there like John Smith, 
Uh, John Smith said, no, let's go back to the biblical basics. But he was quickly overtaken. The Plymouth colony, they did well. They kept their relationships with the Indians until they merged with another colony. And that colony Correct. did not have a godly worldview. So, but I want to come, I want to pull all that back full circle to culture. I want to ask you one more question here. Sure. Why do you think the culture has focused so hard on breaking the Thanksgiving narrative? So I think it goes to two things, in my opinion. One is um, there is a large faction of people, especially in the U.S., that are anti-colonial, if you will, if I could word it like that. That's one. Number two, and it kind of ties in because there are a number of colonialists, if you will, that really adhere to the ways of God. Mm -hmm. And there's an anti-God faction. Yes. And I think that's really the core of it right there. That's the core of anti-Thanksgiving, anti-Christmas, anti-Israel. Did I say that? I know we, we use the term anti-Semitic. I, I like what a friend of ours has stated to me here recently. He's like, Charlie, I don't use the term anti-Semitic. I said, why? He said, it's anti-Jewish, anti-God. That's how they view the people of Israel. They view the, the people of Israel as being the chosen of God, which they are. And that's, yep. that's apparent when they are in Bethlehem and they're tearing down the Christmas uh, decorations because the Jewish people do not have Christmas decorations up to celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. So when you are tearing down something that the Jewish people are not even embracing, you understand there's a God you behind totally yeah. coming. You're, you're, you're coming after God. And, yep. and, and that's, and that's really where they're going. So I, I want to shift this to the chair of philosophy, if I may, unless you have any no, thoughts. No, no. So let's shift over here. What was the Jewish fall festival? Sukkot. Sukkot. So Sukkot, which, by the way, if you want to look on the prophetic timeline, okay, I, I'm a dispensationalist, more or less. Okay, you can go crazy with dispensationalism. Disclaimers out there, okay, noted, noted, okay. Anyway, so if you believe that God set up the feasts in a prophetic timeline, Jesus was born on first fruits, okay? You look at the Christ comment, it's much more likely than December 25th. Not going to get into that. We're going to do a podcast again for the third time on that for all of you crazies out there that think that Christmas is a pagan holiday. It's the wrong holiday, but it's not inherently pagan. Not the way that you think, but maybe Santa Claus is. Okay. Spoiler alert. Now, now that that's the future. You just, okay. We lost 80% of our. <laughs> so you on low everything. Okay, man. But all that to say. Jesus born on first fruits, you know, he came, comes in on the feast of unleavened bread, right? And, and then he's crucified on the Passover, rises on first fruits, right? That's the prophetic calendar that Christ fulfilled. He wasn't taken off because Easter was coming. He was come, taken off because Passover was on hand. And that's the right. Jewish holiday. It's not a Jewish holiday. It's God's holiday. Okay, I got to correct myself there. It's God's times and appointed feasts. Then we have the Feast of Weeks, which we also call the Feast of what? I'm thinking trumpets. Penta, Penta, Pentecost. Oh, yeah. Pentecost, because it's at the 50th week. That's right. And that's when what was given in, in Acts? Oh, I was going to say Torah in the, the Old Holy Testament. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given. Yeah. By the way, actually, the Torah did come 
at Pentecost yeah. in there because God does this thing where he likes to work in 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 rhymes in poet poetic symmetry by the way the, the partial preterist out there the people who I know I'm all over the place but the people who believe that the events of revelation have already happened wrong but there was a mirror of that there were people with lion's manes on their on their helmets and scorpions on their shields during the siege of jerusalem in 68 to 70 a.d they did have a time where they were not allowed to kill people and then they proceeded to kill people there was a a, a, a correlation and by the way they're the same people they're the syrians and the uh uh, uh iran Proto Iranians, those people were the ones, by the way, they're the same people who are looking at sacking Jerusalem right now. Yes. Just to say, God does things in a he he has a a a mirroring and a miming and a poetry to it. But then why am I bringing this up? The prophetic timeline for God coming back is the Feast of Trumpets. That's when the rapture will occur, whether it's pre, mid, or post-trip, whatever it is. The trumpets will sound and we will be taken up at the Feast of Trumpets because after that is the Day of Atonement. After the final judgment is rendered, what will happen? God will come to dwell with us in a stronger way than he did in the desert in Exodus. And that's why you have the Feast of Tabernacles where you would set up this two-wall dwelling, this primitive structure, and you would dwell in it. And the purpose of that is God is saying, me coming down to dwell with you, is like you exiting your home to dwell in this. I want you to commune with me the way that I am communing with you. Come out and see what this is. That was the Jewish fall feast. And there's a lot of people. Go ahead and pull it up, Mr. Producer. The the Jerusalem Post one, the one we were looking at earlier, uh, right? Uh, there's actually some evidence. And that, by the way, the Jews actually believe uh, that there's a lot of Thanksgiving in Sukkot overlap where these two come through article link in the description below uh as always but you scroll on down to the bottom and they lay out hey there's significant evidence to suggest that the puritans were in their own way following along with the feast of Sukkot now they were actually doing it wrong you don't fast you feast because it is the marriage supper of the lamb where you were with your family the people that you haven't seen all of your life after they pass away, you know, in previous life, previous generations, they come and you eat with them and you feast with them. Thank you, Mr. Producer. That, that is what we are giving up when we don't look at the feasts. And by the way, that's what the enemy wants to take away. The shred of that that's yeah. left, that is what the enemy wants to take away from us. The last shred of godliness that we have in this nation, the enemy of your soul wants to steal it and they want to steal the, the the heart and soul of thanksgiving because they want to take away your happiness the demons and devils of hell want to take away your happiness they want you focused on the economics more so than the theological they want you focused on your football on your car on your how much money you're making you got to go to that black friday sale Black Friday sales are not demonic. That's not what I'm saying. Now, maybe some demonic activity happens. You've seen some of those videos, people getting you know murdered for a TV that was $12 off. Not talking about yeah. that. But the general cultural consensus, where we're headed, just look at, look at the philosophy of the demons and devils of hell. Look at what they want. They want to take away your thankfulness. And so that's why I think we see October 31st and December you know, 25th, are the two most consumeristic holidays in the mm -hmm. West, specifically in America. And what's in the middle? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The feast that says God is coming to dwell with us.
Okay, it's derived from Sukkot. God is going to come dwell with us. We want to lose sight of that because we want to focus on the gifts of God and not even the gifts of God, the gifts of other people. That's where we lose it. That's where we lose the, the, the narrative. I'm sorry, I get fired up about this. So what does, what does God say about the importance of giving thanks? And how do we see some of that laid out in the Old Testament chair of theology, Miss Nikki? Well, are you wanting to talk about the free will offerings or you want to talk about the verses of Thanksgiving? Because they're throughout the entire scripture. I, I'd say let's let's start with the verses on 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 giving in general, and then what was a free will offering? So go in that order. Well, we're talking about Thanksgiving, and you can go throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and find verses about giving thanks. And let me just say this before I start: we have eleven grandchild children, and the twelfth one is due in, in January, and we have five children. And the first thing you teach your child is to say please and thank you and how to share. And these are things that you instill in them in a very young age. We had our grandson Titus yesterday and it was say please, say thank you, to teach him gratitude and thankfulness. So these are just characteristics that normally you, you teach a child because you want them to see you have wants and you have needs and somebody else is providing for you and you need to be grateful for that. So in uh, Psalms uh, 101, one through, five, one through five, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Why are we thankful? God made us. God provides for us. Yes, we may take our two hands and our two feet and go out and do a job, but for the health that God has given us, we can do it. And God is the one that provides for us. Um, Colossians 3, 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Those are verses you can find. I mean, those are just a few. There's Oh, it goes on and, and on. And, and, and it should. And, and so I, I, I want to set this up because I, I think it's really important to understand why God a, and this is something that, that's often pulled out by the atheist, and rightfully so, because a lot of Christians don't get this. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to ask you this in, in, in just a moment. What What is the purpose of a free will offering? Why does God, the, the, the creator of the universe, some, some of these extemporaneous to the universe, why does he want, why does he say, you can give me a free will offering? Okay, and let me let me go back to my grandson. So you're teaching him to look at something 
and recognize it. God is teaching us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, to stop and recognize what he's doing. And when you recognize what God is doing, then it just bubbles up inside of you wanting to give him an offering of praise without requirements. That's what a free will offering is. You're not required, but you just do it because you realize, oh, look what God has done for me. I am so thankful and I am so grateful. And so the free will offering um, was a sacrifice regulated by God's standards in the Mosaic law. It was completely voluntary. This you find in uh, Leviticus 23, 38. In the law, the free will offering was to be made of a, a male bull, sheep, or goat. And, and, and there were certain requirements that you had to do for an offering. Um, and I'm not going to go into all those details, but also... Um, as with all sacrifices, the free will offering was to be made in a place of God's choosing, not in an area formerly used by other religions or at home. There, you know, there are some things behind that, but it was appropriate to give the sacrifice during formal feast days, or it could be given any time. Unlike other offerings governed by stricter rules, the priest could eat the uh, free will offering on the day it was sacrificed or the day after. Now, here's the thing when they, the children of Israel were in the desert and they were going to, God was going to set up the tabernacle. God gave instructions on how to build the tabernacle and Moses relayed what supplies were needed for its construction. The people responded as their hearts were, stir, were stirred within them. They brought jewelry, fine yarn, tanned skins, silver, bronze, uh, Achaia wood, ox stones, spices, and oils. And these were all donated as a free will offering to build the tabernacle. And also later on, um, free will offerings were given for David to pass on to Solomon to, to build the um, physical tabernacle. The one in the, in the desert was the one they'd be taken down and, and back up. This was a permanent one. And then again, it, when that ta uh, tabernacle was destroyed, or the temple was destroyed, it was re time those were free will offerings and that's what today in the church we're not required to give anything i can be a, a member of my church and not tie the dime i can still be a member everything we do today is a free will you know it, it, it's almost like god has who's given us everything wanted us to be able to understand how he feels and he gives us something. And part of that, part of, I think one of the seminal parts of that, the, the, the core uh, tenets that allows you to do that is thankfulness. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this I, year, as you are at Thanksgiving, make sure that you're, you're thankful. Final thoughts moving around the room, Miss Nikki. Well, I think if you really stop and you have the right perspective, Every morning, to matter doesn't matter. I've seen people in terrible situations, uh, health situations, marital problems, family problems. They find something to be grateful for. And when you can start your day, look at what you can be grateful for. It gives you the strength for the hard things that you have to face. Amen, Mr. Charlie. I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these, um, these verses are... They're foundational in my family. They've been taught to my kids. Uh, as a matter of fact, they 
probably could all quote it. Uh, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently, diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Those verses, I know, they were, they were written for the children of Israel. We would do well if we would apply them today with our families. Amen. Mr. Steve? Yes. Um, I'd just like to say that, you know, your joy, whether you're joyful or happy, it's, you know, like we've discussed, is they're not based on the same issues. Um, joy of happiness is very fleeting. Uh, sometimes you hold on to it for a while. Other, other times it just slips through your fingers like, excuse me, like water, um, and joyful. You can be joyful for the rest of your life, especially once you've gotten or have obtained Jesus in your heart. It was one of the most pleasurable things I ever did in my life and has gotten and has given me the most joy regardless of what happened in life. And I've had some pretty crappy things happen to life and currently, but the joy I feel with Jesus in my heart just makes things so much better. It, it makes things to where it's just days are happy. <laughs> I mm. mean, it's it's just it's hard for people to imagine. I mean, yeah. it really is. Until you know, you know, it, it, it's not something as fathomable, right? Yep. Jason, um, you know, I always said, I always tell my kids happiness is the byproduct of doing the right things right so um god has given us a plan and the more you follow the plan more happiness and joy you have and talking about you know asking jesus into a heart i don't know if um there's people on here that that actually don't know what that means right so to go back to genesis 1 because that's kind of been the focus of a lot of my bible study lately is genesis you know, God gives, not one, but uh, Genesis 3, God gives Adam and Eve the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The idea being, hey, you can learn good and evil from me, or you can figure it out for yourself, right? And of course, Adam and Eve chose to figure out good and evil for themselves. But we all had the same choice. Hey, we can learn good and evil, what's right and wrong from God, or we can figure it out for ourselves. And when you ask Jesus into your heart, your heart represents your mind, your will, and your emotions. So when you're asking Jesus in your heart, what you're doing, you're saying, hey, I no longer trust my own thoughts. I no longer trust my own will. I no longer trust my own emotions to determine what is right and what is wrong. I'm now going to bring myself into submission the way that Adam and Eve should have done and didn't do. I'm going to let God, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, determine what is good and what is right and what is wrong in my own life. And so if you haven't done that, if you haven't come to that place where it's like, hey, I'm going to bring myself into submission to God's definition of these things, 
I mean, how can you do the right things in order to be happy if you don't know what the right things are? You're trying to figure it out on your own. Well stated. Indeed. So just my final thoughts and then just for the close, make sure that you build happiness into your life. And what I mean by that is first off, be thankful Mm. and make sure that as part of that thankfulness, that gratefulness, give the glory to God. If you don't know, you know, and and this is not something we usually do in this podcast, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, guess what? He is waiting for you. He is waiting for you to say, yes, please. So if you do want to know Jesus as your Lord and savior, put a comment down there or find a family member or friend who does believe in Christ or find a good God believing church and get plugged in. Uh, Because that's the ultimate thing to be thankful for. Make sure that you are living a life that is thankful. That is the Hebrew word yada, where you are giving everything back. It's not just a, it's not just a thank you. It's a, dear God, you are God. I've recognized that. I put myself underneath you. If you are willing to do that, you are going to find joy. The secret to happiness is thanksgiving. That word yada joy, giving all of that over to God. Joy will come from that, giving everything over to God, that yada, if you will. So if you did listen all the way to the end, thank you so much for that. We finally answered the question, what is the secret to uh, happiness? It is Thanksgiving. It is that word yada or joy. Uh, Thank you for over 200,000 downloads of the podcast. Thank you guys for YouTube, Rumble. Uh, Rumble's like at 90 uh, subscribers. So, I mean, hey, that's a slow burn. But I mean, it's rumble. It's kind of hard to, you know, there's not a lot of people on there. Yeah, it's burning. Uh, it's only like, I happen to know that they've made like $400 million in the last two years. So they're growing. It's yeah. growing fast. But YouTube, it looks like the band might have come off. Maybe we, we, we haven't been saying the naughty naughties. The uh, last podcast within uh, the first 24 hours had 40 views. It's better than it was before. Yeah. And the it reason I bring that suppressed. up, I mean, we've got some podcasts that have had thousands, thousands. In thousands deleted. Yeah. And everybody should understand we're not trying to be viral. That's, that's not our aim, but, but reaching people means that hopefully you reach someone's Yes, absolutely. Right. So that means something to us. So just want to say, thank you for that. looks like the camera's winging out. We better make sure that we get to the end quickly on the Twitter Uh at further every day. Thank you so much for being here with that said, we love y'all. You have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Okay, if you're still here, if you're still here, nope. uh, you know that we do this uh, and or we put you to sleep and we're now waking you up. So I'm uh, going to go around the room and we ask some people and we're going to cut them in at the end uh, during the during the credits. And they're going to tell us what Uh-oh. their opinion was. We asked some friends some family, some yeah. other contributors, former contributors to the show, current contributors. Uh, Christmas music. Should it be played before or after Thanksgiving? Should it be allowed to be played before or after? Give us a date, Miss Nikki. After Thanksgiving. What's the when it gets cut off? What's the date? Mm-mm. The date that it gets cut off? No, 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 no. The date that it starts. After the day after. The day after. Okay. When does it get the cut day off? after Thanksgiving? And when does it get cut off? The day after Christmas. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm tired of it by then. <laughs> okay, Mr. Charlie. I am open to it. I can listen to it in the middle of the year. It does not matter to me. I'm good. Okay, so you're 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 agnostic on it. You're like, I really don't care. Yep. Okay, Mr. Steve, I I'm kind of like Charlie. I just like Christmas music, but uh, I 
definitely like listening to Christmas music on Thanksgiving. Mm, okay. For sure, guaranteed. And on, and on New Year's Day, for sure. So it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I can listen to Christmas music, but on on Thanksgiving Day, I love listening to All right, Jason. Christmas yeah. music. So uh, technically speaking, we should be able to listen to Christmas mu music all year long. But I actually think it should start December 1st because I'm more of the the guy who thinks we need to have a week-long Thanksgiving. I think so. I think <laughs> we so. Did. I mean, if you think about it, the, the reason why it's not really, is it wrong to listen to Christmas music? No, it's not wrong to listen to Christmas music on Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving or all throughout the year. The problem is, is after Thanksgiving, we go right into the Christmas holiday with yes. Black Friday. And so it's the it's more the spiritual thing of, yes, you know, um, hey, let's actually be thankful like we just, just watch football for three days there's no thanksgiving there right people are taking a day off this is not thanksgiving most people are just taking a day off thank you thank right? you yeah. so so, so here's with you on that so here's mine here's mine i think that we have october 31st halloween and then we have december 25th the two most uh prolific and spending days of the year where we just pour 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 money it's all consumerism look if you listen to christmas look I've been in a lot of Christmas shows. I have done literally dozens of Christmas shows and we start in October. Noted, noted. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But if you have the feast of Thanksgiving or a Sukkot, if you're doing it right and you're doing like the, the feast of, look, God coming and dwelling with us and the marriage supper of the lamb and you overshadow that with the wrong date of Christ's birth and you just, you skip the holiday. Mm. Yeah, that's what it is. If you just skip skip thanksgiving like you've totally circumvented it i would say i think you're doing it wrong just humbly yeah. submitting that i think i think that if you have skipped thanksgiving if you have forgot it you shouldn't that's why i am all for it after the thanksgiving meal okay after thanksgiving meal like you've done it at least at least we have given thanks and we have partaken in that in that 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 yeah. ceremony of pre you know, it's like the marriage supper of the lamb. That's what Thanksgiving kind of has come to represent for, and for me, because it, again, it has so much to do with Sukkot. It ha has, has like its basis in that. So for me, that is my Sukkot. And um, you used to do Sukkot I mean, all the time. I mean, I have to say one more thing. You know, Go people ahead. are programmed with Christmas music to start shopping. I know. That's, that's kind of why I'm at, you know, I let's know. do December 1st. Get, if you want to defeat <laughs> corporationalism and, and um, the commercialization of Christmas, Let's take a week to do Thanksgiving. Yeah, Anyways, I think so. I think so. I, I, I appreciate that. With that said, Charge. we love you so much. Thank you guys for listening. You guys have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. Bye. The moment it changes to midnight, 12 o'clock the day after Thanksgiving, crank up the Christmas music until like about mid-January, my personal opinion. Christmas has become like really commercialized and people just get into this mindset of gimme gimme. They, I think they want to skip Thanksgiving and all that. And I think that listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving is not really helping that issue. I have a very unique taste that isn't unique at all. I don't care. I am A-OK -okay with either. If you ask me, Joy to the World can be a Thanksgiving song. I mean, like, the Lord has come. What's not to be thankful for, you know? So why not both? Here's why we should listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving is because the taste of Christmas morning is so much better than a fancy feast of Thanksgiving. Christmas music before Thanksgiving, sacrilege. After, absolutely.
Only after. Never before. Never during. Only after. Why? Because it's a sin. Gravest sin. Straight to hell. No Pasco, no seeing the glory of God. That's why.